Welcome to the Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins. I am your host. Um, it is Monday, February 14th, Valentine's Day. It is one day after uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, Super Bowl had a number of ads um, that were about crypto and NFTs and the like. And it was it was it was certainly noticeable. Um, a lot of digital economy stuff. So here to discuss it with me is Edward Angueso, Jr., uh, tech reporter for Vice, and uh, expert on this digital economy stuff. So uh, Edward, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to talk about the thing we all hate. Yeah, yeah. I I was pretty. Heartbroken to see LD. Uh, <laughs> let me just let me just play the last couple of seconds of that uh, here, real quick. And like I was saying, it's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so. And I'm never wrong about this stuff. Never. Fucking horrible. Uh, yeah. Just, just really just. <laughs> Really awful uh, to see that. <laughs> Although, I mean, you know, like that's fine that he he got the payday. Uh, you know that that's fine. Is it? And the, yeah. like, if we if we embrace Larry David's uh, whole shtick, I mean, does he need the money? I mean, no, but it's just it's it's just really hard for me to uh, to go after someone who's a particular. Idiosyncrasies are so familiar to me. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I feel like, <laughs> you know, like I really, you know, I, I really like uh, Larry David, and I'm really bummed out to see uh, him doing that commercial for those guys, who I believe, I believe they posted a picture like these these same guys uh, earlier in in the day that they were hanging out with Shaq, which was obviously just paid Shaq to hang out with them. Right. Um. Yeah. So, well, I guess why don't we start with FTX? Can you kind of explain who these guys are and what their company is? All right. So there are a plethora of um, crypto platforms uh, that are trying to position themselves as exchanges, a go-to exchanges with minimal fees or with like the maximum amount of tokens. FTX is just like one of the latest ones. It's based in the Bahamas, um, uh, and it is. I don't believe it's gone public yet, but it's one of the ones that's considering going public at some rapidly inflated valuation, like ten, you know, tens of billions of dollars. Um, I think the best way to just think of it is, you know, like it's one of the, it's one of the like most recent crop of um, companies that they got in at a good time. They've set up like a bunch of infrastructure, advertising relationships to establish themselves as like a trustworthy partner in this space. And are debating whether, like, what, not so much cashing out as, like, how to, how to boat, like, get as much money as possible and new blood in the casinos again. Right. And that seems to be, like, the, the game plan in general for, for crypto and NFTs and, and blockchain, all of this kind of stuff. Um, it, it definitely seemed like watching the Super Bowl and watching the ads that, we are in a kind of like a new space for the digital economy where it really seems 
that these companies are putting a lot of energy and a lot of money into kind of normalizing it uh, to the point that they like they're trying to like turn the digital economy, crypto, NFTs, etc., into a real part of the actual economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that in the ads as well because they weren't just doing like crypto and NFT stuff. They were also, uh, you know, th- like there were also ads for uh, digital traders who were, uh, there's one I, I, I'm blanking on what the name of it was, but it had like people were flying around and stuff. And, you know, it mentioned crypto as kind of like one of the things that appealed about it, but it was also just about digital currency trading and, and uh, you know, stocks and bonds and stuff like that. And uh, it, it does seem like they're trying to integrate into into the real economy or the financial part of the real economy anyway. Yeah, there are a few ways to do that. You know, one way is to, um, I mean, for example, like traditionally commercials for other financial institutions present themselves as like a way to to shepherd or just or they present themselves as stewards of your of your your money, right? This is the money you park for your family, and they'll have images of your children or like you know your wife or your husband or your partner and your family getting a house, getting like some sort of like nest egg that transfers value later on and the crypto ads are are like very clearly like not trying to do that i mean they also i mean they can't because they're volatile assets but they're trying to say like this is the this is the future and like that in of itself should override considerations you might have about it um but and you know because it's the future you'll get left behind if you're not invested in it and because it's the future you should get in now on the ground floor and so, yeah, so one way to make it ingratiated as part of the traditional or part of the larger mainstream, you know, uh, economy is to get people invested in it, everyday people invested in it, um, having them advocate for it, having them try to figure out ways to use it in their everyday lives or to push for vendors or other businesses to integrate it, right? And another way is just, you know, it helps to have large adoption because if you have large adoption if you have large user growth and you can convince firms larger firms yourselves to integrate it you can have them replicated or adopt you know blockchain tech into their own uh infrastructures or update their own legacy systems to have it you can do like basically the name of the game is like yeah okay we want as many people invested in crypto and using it themselves as a driver but also we have large enough or sufficient enough growth and a user base then maybe we can convince other platforms to adopt it and just in general grow the economy i think coinbase is a particularly big you know advocate on this front like coinbase is really about or sees itself as building the infrastructure for the crypto economy building uh the the foundation for more crypto businesses and ventures and tokens to emerge yeah yeah definitely um that kind of integration into the real economy, I'm, I'm interested in what that looks like. Um, you know, is this the kind of thing where they are asking people to, like, use it as part of their digital wallet? Or, or is this something where, where they're trying to, have, uh, trying to have it even more integrated? Like, you know, like... like I don't really understand how this stuff works, but can you can you store it at a bank? Is there a way to store your wallet at a bank? 
No, not not as far as I know at this moment. But I mean, for them, for them, more adoption. I mean, there's a few ways that you can integrate it fully, right? The there are some routes that some countries are trying to go where you know either adopting it as tender or having a central bank integrate it into and create like a central central bank digital currency, you know, to try to use in international trading or trade or, uh, you know, whatever they might use to regulate their money supply. There are other ways you can roll it out where you can just have people adopt it at home um, and use it and trade it. And like we were saying, put pressure on, you know, small vendors, businesses online, mainly online vendors to like accept crypto um, or trade in it. Um, or to just have crypto accepted more widely online and traded or develop more crypto assets, right? Um, and then in other ways, um, people to enter into crypto-only spaces, you know? So instead of just having vendors that accept crypto, entering into, like, you know, spaces where you get a financial instrument that's solely in crypto, right? So you can, this is where you get into, like, the decentralized financial space where it's, like, encouraging people to get loans with crypto, and offer up digital assets as collateral or use crypto to buy digital assets and, and, and believe that there's value in that. Right. It's just like, yeah, they want, it would be nice if traditional firms accepted it, but also to develop the, to develop infrastructure marketplaces and, and platforms where crypto and digital assets are more freely available and traded. Got it. And when you're talking about digital assets, you're talking about NFTs and stuff like that, right? Yeah, I mean, right now, yeah, right now it's pretty much like NFTs, right? Um, and those, and you know, it can be NFTs in of themselves, but it can also be like you know, they're they're growing play to earn games where you have essentially, if you think of, um, I always forget the name of this game. It's like the shooter with the skins. Uh, uh, that you can uh, trade around and sometimes go for like ridiculous amounts of money. But I mean, it's just like a, it's a mechanic of games in of themselves with like cosmetics or other in-game elements that cause real uh, money. And like here, the, you know, with play to earn games, there's been like a push or, you know, attempts to figure out business models where like you can play the game, you buy or trade NFTs uh, within the game and they generate or help you generate tokens that you can trade for real world money. Right. Right. So you're, so you're playing for, yeah. So you're playing. You're playing for yeah, a token. Ahead. Yeah, you're playing for a token that, through a usually esoteric and complicated mechanism, is connected to a real world peg of value or store of value, right? So it's like maybe, you know, one popular game is Axie Infinity, right? So in Axie Infinity, it's a, basically a Pokemon game. So you tell people, okay, you go on this game, you fight people, you get this token. This token can be exchanged for Ethereum which can then be cashed out for cash, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the, I, I get that part. I think that where I get confused, uh, and I think I think other people get confused at this too, is how is the value being generated by the person playing the game? Because I'll kind of, and I'll walk you through my thinking so that you can tell me what parts are wrong. Mm-hmm. So you buy uh, the physical game or the mm-hmm. download of the game, you then play the game, and then somehow that generates value. That's what I, I don't understand how that generates value uh, that has any application outside of the contained world of the game you're playing. 
Well, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that's also part of the thing here, right? So there's this idea that, you know, yeah, the game in of itself has no actual utility outside of the anything outside of just like generating more stuff for itself right these games have their own land their own resources their own tradable cards their own you know devices and and items and those have value in the game but not outside of it but the idea that a lot of people who are advocating for the play to earn is that you know it has value inherent because people are playing the game they they value these items they value the game in themselves so there's a floor price and pressure and elements of the game's economy can be tinkered with so that the you know so that there's always value in there because someone is willing to put enough time um, and exchange that time for this thing or that thing or this token or that token right and so like there's an attempt there to replicate or to take that basic input of people's time and labor to cr- to create economies inside of it where something that has no actual value um, is worth something to other people can be traded and can be cashed out to the real world. Got it. Got it. I mean, uh, it's, it's still a little confusing to me, but I, it's, it's starting to come in a little bit. So I think of it as just like a really, you know, really, um, glossed over version of like runescapes sort of economies. I mean, I think that's how most of them end up working out. Like a friend of mine was, you know, we were talking about markets, you know, for RuneScape, where like you could easily buy the gold, right? Or you could easily buy other people's accounts. Or you could easily buy um, programs that would allow you to play the game, right? There's no real reason why you should want to do that unless you care a lot about the game and you have something, you have some sort of value to it. And that value that people attach is supposed to be like that core nugget from which all the speculation and all the tinkering with the game economics generates the money that isn't really actually there. Gotcha. And so this kind of digital economy and so I, I, yeah, I guess that it kind of starts with crypto, but then it moves to NFTs. So can you kind of explain like that evolution for me? Yeah. You know, I think so for the, maybe the first like few years, crypto was almost exclusively associated with like, you know, Bitcoin and various tokens inspired by Bitcoin. Um, which, you know, have some sort of utility in terms of speculation, but that's pretty much it. It's the advent of Ethereum and the Ethereum blockchain that's kind of unlocked a lot of uh, other features, if you will. You know, because Ethereum has some has the capability for you to do, you know, for you to build essentially on top of it, right? So you can build, um, you know, these protocols. You can build alternative protocols. You can build alternative tokens. You can build contracts. You know to automatically execute some things under certain conditions, and you can use these as sort of Legos or building blocks to create or recreate things that you might see elsewhere in the world. Right to recreate financial instruments. Right to recreate lending structures. To recreate ways to like you know pull together people's liquidity and their money and disperse it in a way that seems to be like risk-free or as, as risk-free as you can get in this space, right? And so it's it's really it's just that the advent of Ethereum and the ability to build on top of that blockchain have, a, have you know, honestly cursed us with all these new um, tools and toys uh, in which people are developing new assets, new financial instruments, um, you know, and, and, and new ways to try to, to generate value from these tokens. 
Yeah, it does seem like it, it, there's a there's a sense of kind of uh, to kind of use the the cliche of the wild west here, right. where there, like there is no real controls on it, and I think that a lot of the time people who are in this space they use that terminology and they're trying to invoke the kind of like heroic nature and, and the kind of idea of exploration and uh, you know, those kind of myths. But uh, I I think that, but I think they can also be used in the other way to say like, what it just, it's just unregulated chaos. Yeah. I mean, without a doubt, I mean, if you put your money in there, you it's, uh, you know, good fucking luck because it's not insured or backed by anything, right? And a lot of these things are incredibly risky, volatile. People are still figuring out the economics behind some of the esoteric, you know, schemes that they're coming up with. You have, you have, you have exchanges, popular exchanges, you know, and these are places where you can – decentralized exchanges where these are places where you can take, you know, any two tokens if they're paired together and swap them from one another, add some – other token to the liquidity pool so that other people, so that other people can't like, you know, in theory, manipulate uh, the prices of other tokens. But you have these places where you go there, right? Uniswap is, I think probably one of the most popular one and about like 50% of all the tokens listed there available for anyone to buy like scams, right? You know, they're just, they're actually, they're just rug pools, which is like when you pull the rug out from someone uh, or they're just like pump and dump scams or they're coins that are calibrated in a way where you can't sell them once you buy them. So then, like, you just, you know, they'll wait for people to buy them at a certain rate and dump it all. I mean, there's all there's a lot of stuff that's happening right now, which would be outright illegal if these were, like, regulated securities. And the people involved would never be allowed to touch anything with a, with a ticker and for the rest of their lives, you know. But uh, because it's crypto, like, it's, it's um, you know, it's frontiersmanship. You know, like you're on the frontier of the new edge or the bleeding edge of technology and you're developing like the future of the crypto economy, not like doing wash trading, not doing money laundering, not doing like manipulating markets, not doing pump and dump schemes, not doing insider trading. Right. Yeah, because the whole thing does kind of seem like a pump and dump scheme from the outside, like like the entire thing. I'd say a lot of it is, I mean, you know, it's you know part of it is, you know, we have good. A lot of this stuff is transparent, but not sufficiently so. And so we do know that, like, for most coins, there's a pretty significant concentration among, like, a small number of wallets. And you can track their actions pretty reliably. And so, like, you know, that combined with how proliferate um, networks are for pumping and dumping on Telegram and Discord, you know, um, that combined with, like, the prevalence of token scams um, now and in the past, I mean, don't really paint an encouraging picture. Like, yeah, there's for sure not everything is a scam. There are definitely things that people are creating that maybe would be I would find more interesting if they weren't in the middle of all this. But there's just so much fraud that goes on in any given day and base in you know any given time that it is hard to not look at the whole space as just like a giant you know scheme um, to find a greater fool than you. Right, right, and and I think that's a good kind of. Uh, transition point to, to kind of talk about this couple in New York uh, that got popped for, I think they scammed like three point six billion mm-hmm. in crypto, mm-hmm. um, and you know a lot of the attention has been focused on uh, the wife of is a husband and wife couple uh, focused yeah. on the wife for her raps and her uh, you know her her kind of 
interesting uh, behavior in general. Um, yeah, big fucking weirdo. <laughs> yeah, big weirdo. Definitely a big weirdo. And and like I I kind of I I went over a couple of different experiences uh, watching watching her do her thing. Like you know, at first I was like, this is terrible, and then I was like, oh, maybe it's good actually. And then I was like, no, no, it is actually bad. But, uh, yeah, a, re- a real kind of up and down there, uh, peaks and valleys. But, yeah, can you kind of explain, like, who these people are and how they were able to get away with that? Because I do not get how these two, of, of all people, uh, were able to scam billions of dollars uh, from, from so many people. So when it was – so the hack happened a few years ago. I believe it was around 2016, 2017, and it was Bitfinex, and it was of 120,000 Bitcoins, about 120,000. I think it was like 119,000. And at the time, that was you know only you know maybe $50, $60 million worth, but it was still a pretty big chunk of uh, – it's a pretty noticeable part of the supply. So you steal the bitcoins, right? And I think presumably, I think the assumption is the husband was the one who stole them, but that they were both involved in the money laundering. But they stole the coins, right? But since, you know, the blockchain is a public ledger of transactions or works as a public ledger of transactions, you have all this money sitting in a wallet. A bunch of people are watching it. What are you going to do with it? So they created a scheme where they had, you know, they ran it through a server or they ran it through like a, a platform that was supposed to take the Bitcoin, uh, take some of the, uh, you know, the uh, money, the Bitcoins that they stole, pass it through pieces of other wallets or accounts so that it would be a little bit harder to track. And then from there, they would take, you know, thousands and thousands of wallet addresses and then use that uh, the wallets and the, and the Bitcoin inside of them to bleed it into other streams, right? Other wallets, put it in, maybe in a Tumblr service where it just you know tries to wash it a little bit more. Then bleed and mix it in with business um, business transactions. Maybe mix it in with wallets that are owned by a corporation that are owned by another name uh, registered to them or another name linked to them, right? In a in, all in a bid to try to figure out a way to. Take the dirty money that everyone is watching, put it in a place where no one is, and then pull it out, right? Uh, they fucked up. Really, not. it's not so much that they fucked up as like uh, they were unlucky because the first step of their process was uh, was owned by the FBI, you know, um, and seized by the FBI. And they were able to go through that and find records connecting accounts to the name of the husband, and then from there, they're able to do reverse analysis or do a bunch of forensic analysis to eventually figure out, oh, okay, like this is – these are the accounts linked to this couple. This couple is holding a large number of Bitcoin illicitly, and they're probably the ones who stole it from Bitfinex. All right. So I we think – We weren't dealing with top minds here. No, but also, I mean, at the same time, it's like they're way – sure, like they probably could have – done more but also it's like this is the exception not the rule like it is usually people who do money laundering um you know with crypto don't get caught but that's also because they don't happen to fuck up and use like a honeypot or happen to use like a a service that gets uh pwned by the fbi i mean and there are other things right they they kept living in the united states usually if you do a massive financial crime you shouldn't stay in the country that has pretty huge of capacity to just get records from companies right in the united states it is not that hard for the fbi 
to uh, say, hey, give me uh, records uh, related to this person um, if you have them, right? Uh, you sh- probably should have moved to a place that doesn't have that sort of agreement with the United States or where uh, you move or use services, right, that don't have agreements or don't fall under U.S. jurisdiction, right? That was another thing they fucked up on. They had cloud accounts that had pretty much like a detailed plan of everything they did. And those cloud accounts were with firms that were under U.S. jurisdiction, right? So it's like they they fucked up in a multi they fucked up in a multitude of ways, probably because they didn't anticipate that like that early step of the process would be compromised so easily. Um, but again, like that's the exception, not the rule. Most most people don't get caught, right? Or I mean, if they do, it's usually because of a fuck up like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's 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 kind of like not only should you be worried about uh you know the authorities but uh if if i stole that much money i would be terrified that i get killed i mean i you know i i i guess that yeah i mean maybe that's one reason that they didn't run maybe they felt safer in the u.s i don't know i you know me i would have um i would have left the country (laughs) you know i would have if i stole if i stole 120,000 bitcoins you're never gonna hear from me again uh, I would not post, I would not be a prolific contributor to Forbes, I would not right. make rap videos, I wouldn't be a venture capitalist, I wouldn't do any of the things that they did. They should have like gotten a new name, gotten plastic surgery and moved off somewhere else um, and, and washed as much as the money as possible. So I don't know, maybe part of it is like the delusion to think that you could just do that and you'd be fine. Um, you know, I think it requires a little bit of that also to try to do it in the first place, right? Uh, it, it requires like a little bit of insanity. Yeah, I or, think so. Or just I mean, like stupidity, the, maybe. The, I think that like the hack was a pretty. Uh, I don't even think we're entirely sure how the hack happened. Still, um, uh, just that there was a vulnerability um, at the time that he exploited, right? Uh, so I mean, like, yeah, you know, you have to be a you know a little bit crazy to try to do that, and then a little bit crazy to stay in the United States, and a little bit crazy to use companies and services that if the United States someday suspected you could just knock on the door and get records of, you know, like, uh, I think there's, yeah, there's just a bit like probably like, you know, I'm not, it's not, not me. I'm not going to get caught. Right. And, and so you were also saying that, um, that this stuff happens all the time. Right. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, uh, what do you mean? You mean people are always like are still, crypto all the time or people are I mean, yeah. laundering all the time or is it kind of like they're doing all kinds of shit i mean crypto yeah there's a lot of crypto crime i mean crypto crime is you know uh it's several billions of dollars but it is a it is a decreasing fraction of like all transactions in crypto and i think that's just because of like the rate at which people have been brought in to crypto uh as far outpaces the rate of thefts but i mean like they're there have been hundreds of millions of dollars worth of crypto stolen in the last few months alone, right? Um, and billions over the last few uh, over the last year. So it's not um, the the situation is that there's a lot of theft going on, um, but there's also a lot of money laundering on goes on, right? I mean, it is like it is an ideal thing for for money laundering because if you you can find services that will take your money from one wallet to another. Um, and as long as they do the cryptography correct, right? As long as it can't really be broken um, with a strong enough supercomputer, uh, no one's really going to figure out the trail, right? 
So, you know, the wallets in of themselves, you can use them to move the money and pull it out anonymously. It's just like the last thing that you just have to make sure you don't get caught at any point of the process. And so it's used for money laundering. It's used for bypassing sanctions. It's used for bypassing, you know, watchful eyes um, that are looking at a wallet, expecting it to be cashed out. Um, yeah. So it, it it is kind of like the... Uh the multi-use uh, currency for money laundering at this point, would you say? Yeah, it's the you know it's the currency of the future. I mean, they're right about that. They're just wrong about for who. Um, you know, it's it's uh, really great if you want to launder money. There are a few things better than crypto to do it with. Unless you, I mean, I'm sure if you have a lot of money, there are other ways to do it that probably e- may, might be easier for you than crypto. But crypto is a pretty good way for like you know, an ambitious money launderer to get started. Yeah. Just because it's so impossible to like, so right. It is impossible to trace, right? Because you can look at it, but you can't know who, who has it. Is is that what it is? Not impossible. I think like there are always points of failure, right? There are always ways, you know, you can use, you could use a service which uses a pretty complex mathematical formula or some, you know, algorithm to try to, disperse the money in, in a way that I can't track. But if 10, 15, 20 years I have a, from now I have a computer powerful enough to crack it, then like I'm going to crack it. Um, and I think that, so that's like one of the, it's one of the points of failures that emerge where it's like, yeah, today a bunch of people could be safe because we don't have, you know, someone doesn't have like the capacity, the computing power to crack the, crack the code, but someday in the future they can. People make mistakes and slip up, so forensic analysis can eventually find it in some cases. But I would but I think like, you know, just how it is, I mean there are a pretty good set of tools that allow people to evade detection, right? I think the the press conference that the DOJ had on the day that they announced it, they tried to hype it up as if, you know, they were trying to send a message. They were talking about how like we have you cannot hide if you use money laundering, uh, if you crypto for money laundering. You cannot hide from our forensic analysis. Uh, analysis, and you can. It's just um, it might get a, it might be getting a little bit harder, you know, especially if they're getting better with like targeting platforms that people use to aid and abet this stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it it's. It's it, it, so. What you're saying is that like it could be totally secure right now, and not totally yeah. secure even tomorrow if if somebody like developed the technology to look at it. Yeah, I think for the most part, you know, a good deal. I would say a significant number of people who are using it for that are fine, or are, are gonna be fine, right? For right. now, and then maybe in some time in the future, they might not be. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of speaks to like the whole volatility of of this kind of new new economy, right? Where um, I mean, so I, I was offered, um, uh, a deal with, with, a, with a company, uh, you know, to produce content for them and they would pay only in crypto. And that was <laughs> one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that I decided not to know it. And your reaction is, uh, affirming my, my decision. Um, yeah. but like, it, it was just. It just felt to me like you know, like they could pay me, and then uh, the value of whatever they pay me could just like completely disappear overnight before I even get to like cash it out. Um, and it does seem like it has those big swings. Uh, but can you also tell me why you were laughing at that? It, I, 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 I mean, I obviously, mean, it's, I think I made the right choice, but I I just want to hear why. I think like you know, I've been working on a 
on a story. I don't know when it'll be out about companies that have tried to pay workers in crypto, um, specifically in the global south, because they think that it's a good way to uh, pay people um, minimum wages or subminimum wages by saying like, okay, yeah, you know, right now it's not worth that much, but it will go up, and like, you know, we're involved in that business and we can do it, and you know, we'll we'll keep giving you this token and we'll lock it in at this amount. So, you know, you just have to, you have to wait with us and it'll go to the moon. Um, and I've been trying, you know, I've been reading and I haven't connected with, but read like some pretty esoteric things where people will pay or some groups will pay people on like their own token or some groups will pay people on like a pump and dump token. But I think like you made, I was just laughing because you really didn't make the, the right decision. Like I think, uh, some people I know and some people I've talked to for this story have definitely taken that offer and like been better off for it. But most of them have not been right because it is volatile. Like, especially if you got in before, if you got in around November, which was the peak of the market for the last year, right? Um, it's still in 30, 40% uh, correction territory right now, I believe. So I don't know. It's like, it's also kind of ridiculous that people are trying to pay that in crypto. I don't like, I feel like that subjects you to not double taxing, but uh, you know, more fees that will eat away more of your income than otherwise. Right. Because you're going to have to convert the crypto into USD. Right. And then register that trade with the IRS. So you can have fun with that. And then you also have to pay uh, transaction fees in the marketplace, wherever you transfer it for. And also have to hope that like the price doesn't suddenly go volatile or that, you know, someone doesn't front run your trade with like a with a bot. I mean, there's so many ways for value to just be sucked away instead of just being handed cash. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that that was kind of my feeling on it. Like, you know, like, this just doesn't feel like the smartest way to do this yeah i mean like like if it if it's if it's like i can see scenarios where someone would take crypto payment if like it's a large enough sum of money and they're comfortable enough where it doesn't matter if there's slippage you know but uh that's not the case for almost every single person i know who's living pay to check to paycheck right it would make no fucking sense for someone living pay to check to paycheck or even a little bit better than that to take um payment in an asset that has volatility price swings every single day and is enters market territory or enters price correction territory once, twice a year. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think this offer was like, yeah, it would have been early summer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's possible that like I could have like taken it and then sold it at the peak and then I would be, better off now but also Maybe. but would you have i mean that's no, also no, the other thing yeah no, I, like i don't i don't know what the fuck i'm doing with this stuff like like i would have i would have held on to it and now i would be uh broke you know i mean if i was able to hold on to it, i don't even know um but anyway uh yeah it, it just seems like uh it seemed it seemed a little shady to me and and i'm glad that your reaction is is confirming that because uh yeah. it's making me Make me feel a little more solid on that. Um, so, so that's all all about uh, crypto there. But um, you know, we got we got a little bit of time here. Can we just talk a little bit about NFTs? Uh, and the main reason I want to do this is because that was the topic the last time that you came on. Oh yeah, and, and then the Maxwell verdict <laughs> came out and just completely derailed the conversation. We just had to talk about that. Now today, uh, obviously, because you were coming on. 
New York courts got the got the memo and Sarah Palin's uh, case with the New York Times uh, seems to have gotten dismissed. But I don't think that's quite as important, so we won't talk about that. Right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, can can you just kind of break down the NFTs a little bit? And this and, and you know obviously I think things have changed. Uh, since we talked last month, so or, or was that even December or whenever it was? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, can you just talk a little bit more about that and like kind of where that economy is and where that part of this digital economy and 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 the blockchain is at the moment? So I think NFTs in of themselves are supposed to be. Uh, I mean, if I if I can be forgiven for simplifying it, just like a receipt that points to a uh, point in the blockchain that proves that that either you created or issued or or own this thing, right? Uh, digital asset, land deed, whatever it is that's being signified and represented by the NFT. Um, you know, supporters, boosters will insist that NFTs allow you to do all sorts of interesting things, um, allow you to take assets that aren't obviously commodifiable and mint them in a way where now you have like this tradable receipt of ownership that can have a floor price that can be subject to demand, you know, uh, demand economics that can be like speculated on. Um, and this generates more value than if you just sold it in traditional markets. Um, but I think that the thing with, and also, and some boosters are like using them NFTs to, um, generate income, uh, for their, uh, for their projects, right. That they might not otherwise be able to do to do capital races by saying like, okay, we're going to issue NFTs that represent land. We're going to issue NFTs that represent like, um, priority access to this project or that represent citizenship on this Island or that represent, um, you know, uh, a claim to a certain amount of governance tokens, whatever it is, right. Using them to commodify something, in a way that generates more capital for them so that they can then use it to, you know, do their project. Uh, I think NFTs and of themselves, they're pretty, they're interesting way to raise money. Uh, but I don't like that. You know, I'm not really interested in commodifying all of life and the core reason that NFTs, that Ethereum, I think should be, uh, viewed as dangerous is that embedded in them is the idea that we should be able to quantify, as much of daily life and social interactions and relations as possible and put a price tag on it, right? That everything should be knowable, quantifiable, tradable, exchangeable, and that the rules in which all of this happens should be coded into contracts that mediate our interactions, right? And so this will allow you to cleanly do land transactions, right? And cleanly do, you know, transfers of in-game, of you know, digital goods, you know, maybe some bullshit in the metaverse, maybe some item in your video game, right? Maybe your health records, maybe proof of vaccination for attendance at a concert. Like there are all sorts of ways that it can be, you can commodify something that wasn't a commodity and make somebody or a bunch of people money. But should we do it? You know, I think this is the question that no one really asked in most of the NFT projects. Does it make sense to, to open the door for any of this? Does it make sense to do this like digital enclosure? Um, and I don't think so, which is why... I'd, you know, generally speaking, I don't like uh, I don't like NFTs. Uh, but nonetheless, I think that they they you know as much as they are ridiculous and it's easy to point at the ugly apes and point at the ugly like you know bullshit that comes to the pipeline. They are dangerous and need to be treated as such um, because yeah, they I, represent commodification of everything. 
Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, I think I think that I mean, first of all, like you're completely right. The uh, the absolute like grotesque art on the board apes uh, make it really easy to dismiss them because those things are ugly as hell. Yeah, uh, they're bad. <laughs> I mean, they're just terrible. Like uh, really, really unappealing in 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 a way that generates such a like visceral disgust for me. But uh, I think. It, before talking about commodification, which I think is a really interesting uh, question and topic, I, I do want to go back a little bit to the beginning where you were talking about all the different things that they can represent. And as as someone who's not like keyed into this world, it does make it sound like there is more to uh, this technology than maybe I thought like it can't actually be tied to things in the real world. Right. It can right. actually have some sort of connection to reality. Uh, is, is that a good, is that a correct read? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, I mean, like, yeah, NFTs can be used to point. They're supposed to, they're supposed to be able to put this receipt of ownership or, or, you know, of or original production on the blockchain and, the, and, because it's on the blockchain, it's immutable, and it's always there. But, but yeah, they can point to things in the real world. But it gets messy when you start pointing to things in the real world instead of digital assets. Because then you kind of double – you kind of it, – it becomes pointless. Like, okay, let's say there's an example. Um, there's a tungsten cube that was created um, uh, maybe four months ago, three months ago. Uh, I don't remember the exact date and it sold for like, you know, it, it was sold in the middle of like a craze for tungsten cubes when people were obsessed with them because they were, they were surprised by the size, by how dense they were given the size. So yeah, some I company, remember that. It, it feels like a million years ago, but right. I remember that. Yeah. So some company made an NFT of that, that would, you could then buy the NFT of that. Once you bought the NFT of it, you owned it. Um, or, and you could either, and they gave you right to like visit the facility once a year to touch the cube <laughs> or you could burn the NFT and they would hand deliver this like multi-ton cube to you, you know? Okay. That's interesting. Why the fuck would you do that? What's the point of, you know, and, and that's what it comes down to. NFT. I think a lot of times the NFTs are physical things. It's interesting. It is interesting. If you want to make an NFT of proof of vaccination, it is interesting. If you want to do NFT of proof of membership of the club, it's interesting if you want to do it of medical records. Why would you? Like, honestly, why would you do it? The, re- the real reason is to generate money, more money for something than you normally would, which is speculation. And I don't think, you know, if you want to, sp- that's good if you're a speculator, you know, but not good if you're not. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like the continuing, like, financialization of everything. Yeah, there. you know. It's, yeah, it, like, during the, um, this is like a little bit of a digression, but. Like you know, during during the housing crisis in two thousand eight, like you know, the the entire economic crisis at that time, you know, one of the reasons was that they like chopped all of these uh, uh, loans and, and and securities into tranches in order to like create more securities and more like, but they were creating nothing out of nothing. Um, I mean, like, but again, I mean, like, same with this. Like, it was tied to something real. Uh, but it was simply being used to simply like the only reason for it to exist was to make money. 
Like, right. like there was like like there was nothing else. It wasn't creating anything new of value. It wasn't creating any new actual physical product. And like you're saying with the NFT, same thing. You could use it as as proof of vaccination or proof of uh, membership of a club, or or uh, uh, some the you know land or, or whatever. But it's not creating something new. It's simply signifying that thing that already exists in another way that, as you say, has been commodified. Yeah, and I think I think that's a good example. Of touching on mortgages and CDOs, um, and the development of like you know these weird derivative pro- uh, products, and that like another problem with making NFTs of the real world things is if these things don't really need to be commodified, then you're introducing weird market dynamics and incentives to do things that normally wouldn't make sense or, or wouldn't be done because they don't make pe- money for people. You know, like like you're talking about, like it makes sense to offer mortgages. And maybe it makes sense to package some mortgages up into these collateral debt obliga- um, obligations, right? And does it make sense to then create, like, an internal market between the banks so that they can figure out, you know, ways to make more money off of the product? Does it make, does it make sense to, like, you know, do some of, some of the things that were incentivized, like offering loans to people who wouldn't otherwise get them. Well, yeah, if you have commodified the entire process, then it does make lo- uh, sense to offer as many loans as possible, so that you can offer the, so you can like you know juice up the product and keep offering it to other institutional investors, right? But similarly with NFTs, I think that if you're offering NFTs of real world items and products, right? If you're offering NFTs of memberships, if you're offering NFTs of medical records, if you're offering NFTs of land, then you're encouraging like, you know, weird secondary markets that are going to then decide to start structuring the primary markets in ways that suit themselves. Right. So then it's like, okay, if you really think that NFTs of everything are good, the people who are eventually going to end up, deciding the development of them are not like people who might benefit from them, but just like financiers and speculators who want to make money off of them. Like that's the real problem. Like we've been talking about, like financialization of everything doesn't simply like introduce market logic to things. It then gives like institutional actors the power to reshape everything after you have all these libertarians and, and, and their shills and ideologues like clear the ground and raise the forest for them to come through. Yeah, just opening the door for mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of behavior, um, and I think that it kind of speaks to. I mean, just like the the kind of emptiness of it was really on display. I thought during the Paris Hilton Jimmy Fallon interview, mm-hmm. where like they're talking like they're talking about this stuff, and and they almost seem like embarrassed about it, but they're talking about it and. And they're the way that they're showing each other and the audience what they have is they have printed out pictures. But it's like, but then what? Like, it, it just, it just kind of to me, it just really showed like how ridiculous the whole thing is. I don't know. I mean, I think it is. Um, I think that you know, it's easy and understandable to be excited about a lot of this technology because it's just doing novel things or things that feel novel. But um, 
you know, usually when that something is being offered as the future, if someone is telling you this is the future, like check your wallet, you know, like they're put, shoving their hand in your pocket and they're trying to get some shit out of it. There's, there's almost no time, like every single iteration of or wave of technology and the institutional actors that are adopting it or the scrappy first wave of adopters or, you know, or not even scrappy because most of these people pushing you know, for certain types of NFTs or um, crypto uh, projects are also backed by like, you know, some of the largest VC funds and already established, you know, actors to begin with. Right. But a lot of these people, they're just they're just angling to recreate or to cr- structure markets in such a way where they come out on top. Right. So it's like even if yeah, if even if for some reason we thought that everything should be commodified, it's not going to be commodified by us. It's going to be commodified by um by actors that have very different interests than like anybody else on the planet. Right. And like that on top of the, like the thousand other reasons we talked about is why you should oppose commodification. Cause it never just stops, which is like the thing. It always leads to figuring out ways to abstract the thing and trade that. Right. And then structure the market so that the, the, the abstraction you created is more profitable and more tradable and more commodifiable at expense to reality, right? Yeah, and you know, just with the with the couple of minutes that we have left here, I just I I do want to touch on one thing because your mentioning of, of, of VC capital and and these uh, these firms reminded me of this PR uh, blast I got last week from Every Realm, which is a female led metaverse company. Mm-hmm. Uh, that raised uh, $60 million in their Series A round led by Andreessen Horowitz. Um, and it's just, it's interesting to me that, that and I mean, Andreessen does not tend to, I mean, like, he, he makes a lot of bets, but uh, it, it did feel a little bit kind of like, I mean, obviously, I guess he's he's on Facebook's board and he is invested in Meta. But this uh, this move, like sixty million dollars Series A financing round, uh, seemed like r- really kind of throwing their hat in the ring, thinking that there's going to be a lot of money generated in the metaverse. Um, it, yeah, so every realm's metaverse real estate development projects include fantasy islands, an ultra luxury master plan community in the sandbox which sold an associated NFT mega yacht for 150 Ethereum, $650,000. Uh, Meta a shopping district in Decentraland, Realm Academy, the premier online education co- campus in the metaverse, which is located in Somnium space in the GFT shop, a multi-metaverse retail concept that sells NFTs inspired by cult ba- brands like Atari. I mean, the way that they are presenting this makes it sound like this is going to be its own self-contained, uh, reality, which is the pitch, obviously, but also economy. Um, yeah, I hope so. So we can throw them in there. I mean, like I, th- these people are. I think, like you, you talked about how A sixteen Z is at the center of all this, right? I mean, this is like a, a VC firm that was co-founded by a guy who, if you remember that, it's time to build essay, right? That he. Um, you know, at the begin or some point in the pandemic, he was like, "Look, you know, governments are failing us, corporations are failing us. You know, VCs and startups, firms, and all this bullshit are nimble enough to to help, and capital allocators are nimble enough to help us build 
you know, the world we need, where we can build more roads and build more hospitals and build more infrastructure. And what is this firm doing? They're like investing in Second Life and Roblox copies, right? They're like, they're buying, they're valuing Bored Apes Yacht Club, like, at $5 billion. They're, they're investing in these play-to-earn games. Like, they're not actually building the future. They're just building a, a, a portfolio of incredibly speculative, volatile, uh, you know, virtual and digital-only uh, investments, assuming that people are just going to ride the wave of the metaverse and the hype of the metaverse, um, regardless of whether or not there's any real utility there. It doesn't, like, what, what, there's no... It, it This doesn't make sense to me if you believe that we need to build more things in the real world that you then go and spend billions of dollars um, on speculation in the digital world. It's, uh, I mean, it does if you want to make money, and that's really what it comes down to. Like These people just don't really care about much beyond money. Yeah, I mean, the, the, like reading that paragraph that I read, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, ultra-luxury master plan community in the same like, – what this, the fuck is that? Real. This isn't real. Like, and, and I'm not saying that uh, that there's no uh, use for VR or some sort of VR world in some way. Sure. Maybe there is. Whatever. But you know, a shopping district like this, like this stuff is not real. This stuff isn't even real yet, right? Yeah. It's yes. like this. Like it doesn't even exist yet. So, uh, and and they're trying to pitch it like it's going to be this whole thing. And and anyway. When I read this and when I, uh, you know, when I watch like these ads on, on the Super Bowl and all this stuff, like the, the impression that I get is that it's going to be the, just this huge hustle. And at the end of it, it's going to be so overvalued. And when it crashes, the people who are going to be left holding the bag are going to be like all of the, it's going to be just like 2008, where it's going to be like all of these, uh, uh, you know, 401k funds and all, all of these, all of these different, um, groups which are which are handling uh mostly just normal people's money and it's just and and they're going to be the ones who end up losing uh, yeah. money for it like it's not going to be uh a16z it's not going to be all of these guys it's 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 just going to straight up be uh uh normal people or if it is if it is the super rich they're just going to get bailed out yeah they'll eat everybody's lunch i mean that's just how it always is right these people are going to situate themselves in a way where they need to be bailed out to preserve the stability of whatever bullshit secondary world they make right it's um it's uh i think you know you're right you know that exactly like the most vulnerable people the most vulnerable people and the most exploited people in this traditional systems are the ones that these people are saying they will empower the most they're saying, you know, if you are excluded from banks, if you're underbanked, you know, this is the world for you. If you have been discriminated against, suffered from redlining, suffered from racist treatment by banks when it comes to loans, this is the place for you. Uh, when the music stops, those are the first people who will be fucked. They will be screwed out of everything that they have because they're more likely to invest more of what they have. Uh, on the premise, on the advertising, on the marketing that this is the future. This is the ticket to the future. This is the ticket to financial independence. This is the ticket to wealth. This is the ticket to, you know, entering a system that's not going to exclude you the way that the previous one did. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's just a confidence game. 
you know, I think. I think, like, a lot of it is really just a confidence game. You know, it's way too early for them to be making this sort of grandiose claims that they do regularly. But for them to make them without blinking and flinching, I mean, it's just, uh, it's part of the narrative that is necessary to keep the whole thing afloat, right? You have to always pretend like there's new growth, new opportunities, new ventures, new lands unconquered, um, and you just have to come along for the ride and you'll get to see them and settle them and enjoy the fruits of them. Yeah, while while in reality they're just laughing all the way to the bank while you're exactly while you're just doing next to nothing. Well, I think I think that's a a pretty good place to leave it. Um, Ed, thank you so much for joining us again. I'm glad that we didn't have uh, some Epstein related news uh, <laughs> drop in the middle again. Yeah, maybe next uh, time. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe next time we're happy. Uh, something will happen to Maxwell. Uh, maybe she'll. Uh, uh, <laughs> commit suicide or something um (laughs) but uh yeah thank you so much for joining us and um uh what are you working on right now what where where can people find what you're up to i'm over at vice at uh, motherboard that's where all my writing is you can find me on twitter at big black jacobin and uh mainly just working on a bunch of stories about people in crypto world uh play to earn games and people getting paid in crypto or some of the things i'm like looking into and, and writing about soon um, that's pretty much it. Excellent. All right. Uh, well, thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you on the other side.